This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast from The Times. I'm Matt Chorley. We live in extraordinary times when rebels become loyalists and loyalists rebels between lunch and dinner time, when calls to the Prime Minister to go are only outweighed by despair at the absence of an obvious better alternative. Joining me to help write the first draft of this bizarre period of political history are three biographers who between them have dug into the lives of our leaders past and present to examine what makes them tick and what might bring them down. Rosa Prince is a journalist and author of biographies of both Theresa May and Jeremy Corbyn and will ask what the Labour leader needs to do to become PM himself. Andrew Jimson, biographer of Boris Johnson, looks at the former Foreign Secretary's hopes of bouncing back. But first, Sir Anthony Seldon, who has written countless biographies of Prime Ministers on the scale of the threat to the current inhabitant of Number 10. All Prime Ministers are judged overwhelmingly on one particular episode. For Tony Blair, it was Iraq. For Gordon Brown, it was the handling of the world economic crisis. For David Cameron, it was the calling of the referendum on the EU. For Theresa May, the judgment of history will depend utterly on how the end of her premiership plays out. So if she is able to produce a working settlement that the country accepts, that holds uh, Parliament uh, uh, and her party together, uh, she will be viewed very differently and all will be forgiven. But if she fails to find that uh, workable settlement, if she is forced from power, she will be remembered for vacillation, ineptitude, uh, lack of imagination, lack of intellect, incompetence. She will be down there with Anthony Eden at the very bottom of the Prime Minister's league table of the 54 PMs of Britain to date. Anthony, just as you walked in this morning, almost the first thing you said was, you know that she's resigned, don't you? And there was part of me that wasn't that surprised. And it sort of it goes to show quite what a, what a mess we appear to be in. You, you could have walked in and maybe the second or third thing you mentioned was the Prime Minister resigned and it, was, it, it wasn't that big of a shock. Yeah, uh, what else happened, uh, Philip, um, today? And uh, <laughs> it is an extraordinary time, obviously, we, we say it. Uh, anything can happen because the last 18 months have happened. 
and it is quite possible that she will not be able to survive or less likely I think she just feels it's simply not worth it but she's interesting I think it's ultimately boring to recite again all the uh, criticisms of her she's unusual as a prime minister amongst the 54 in growing into the job she appeared to be stronger before she called the general election in 2017 but she was stronger on the turbo boost of a couple of extraordinarily feisty uh, lieutenants in uh, number 10 and on the back of a significant majority and on momentum and and not being uh, David Cameron but uh, stripped of all that she's down to the thing uh, itself and she has really uh, unnaturally uh, high-grade tenacity uh, and ability to sustain extraordinary levels of punishment, denigration, <laughs> uh, humiliation, and just to keep uh, coming back. Uh, and that is uh, certainly a, a, a quality, and I, I think she is uh, becoming more impressive, you could say. Uh, well, it was a pretty low base she started from, but she is becoming... <laughs> Uh, more impressive in the way she's handling domestic politics and international politics. Anthony, you sound rather like a schoolmaster trying to encourage a peculiarly dim pupil uh, (laughs) and saying Theresa mustn't totally despair. She is, in fact, you know, having been bottom of the class at the beginning of term, she's now sort of one place off the bottom of the class. She she always remembers to bring most of her pencils, so that's... (laughs) That's good. Her pea kit is all in order. That's so all. colouring is first okay, class. Yes. Laugh, laugh, uh, and she's very good on the maps of England. Uh, uh, colouring in, in all the counties and no doubt the empire. Not with, very good with, on the with north all, with all the pink bits. She doesn't really know anything about the yeah. north of England. She's not very good. She wasn't as good yeah. at colouring in the north blue as she hoped. <laughs> um, Rosa, one of the things, and you used to be in the lobby before you escaped and uh, got much better. So you, you've sort of seen politicians up close and one of the big problems with Theresa May she's not like a normal politician she lacks a lot of the ego that that normal politicians have but it makes it quite difficult to apply the normal rules of well a politician would go or why why did she stay after she lost a majority and all the sort of normal you know whether it's pride or shame or whatever it is the normal rules you'd apply to politicians they just don't seem to apply to her so it's difficult to know and she doesn't really seem to tell anyone what she what she's thinking Was that what you discovered when you were writing the book? Yeah, as you say, I've also written a book about Theresa May, and what I learned from her is that she's her psyche is made up of public service and and duty, and to her that's much more important than ego, which does blow our minds in the lobby, because every other politician we've pretty much come across is all about them, them, them. But Theresa May wants to work hard and do her homework. She's a grammar school girl, and she's never quite shaken that off. And uh, it seems to me that I, unlike you, Matt, was not fooled by Anthony coming in and saying she's quit because (laughs) there is no way on this earth that she is going to give up before she's seen Brexit through. That's the task she set herself and no matter what, I mean I think she has an ego to the extent that I think it hurts her. I think she's bruised. We all know famously she wept after the election result. I'm sure she's going through an absolutely miserable time but for her she's not going to say oh I've had enough of all this, I'm off. Like doing a Cameron for example. Uh, She's there, she got us in to this mess and she's going to get us out. I think that's what she said to the, her MPs the night after the election to keep her job. So I would be very surprised if she went anywhere before Brexit is completed. And to what extent is this not necessarily going to be her 
choosing because the the mood in the I mean I, I I feel like I say this every week the mood in the Tory party is getting worse I mean it's particular the last twenty four hours I've spoken to lots of uh, Tory MPs from the cabinet to backbenchers elected last year and they're all in a very strange mood. Yes, I, I had the brief impression after the Chequers thing or during it that the Tory tribe was sort of drawing together with its instinct for self preservation, but now it isn't. There's tremendous fighting between themselves and one of the real problems with Theresa May. I mean Baldwin lost his first election in 23, but handled the politics afterwards when Ramsay MacDonald came in and then got the Liberals to take the blame for Ramsay MacDonald going out of power again very quickly, then the Tories came back. And Baldwin, during that election campaign, had proved himself to be an asset on the campaign trail. The dreadful thing that all Tory MPs know about Theresa May is that she was not an asset on the campaign trail, so they're completely determined not to um, fight another election under her leadership. So the question is not whether to get rid of her, but when. Uh, and preferably after she's done the hard work of Brexit. But um, that means she's got less to fall back on. People don't think, oh, well, uh, she'll be wonderful during the election. They, they think, oh, well, she'll be terrible during the election. We, we really can't stay with her for that long. problem is, as it has been for the past year, they haven't got anyone to replace her. So even if they decide to stick with her through Brexit, who's going to come next? If they don't, which is what they seem to be saying, they'd love to give her the shove right now. They can't afford to let someone else in. It's the classic prisoner's dilemma. And to what extent, Anthony, is she turning out to be a good Prime Minister but a terrible leader of the Tory party? I saw someone described it at the weekend as she's like a senior civil servant. More that she's not very good at the politics, but she's quite good at sort of working through options and all that sort of thing. Is that, yeah. is that what marks her out? I mean, to that extent, she's like Ted Heath. Now, Ted Heath was much happier in the company of civil servants than he was with his cabinet. I mean, Ted Heath was a much sharper, brighter man intellectually than, than she was, much more self-confident. He'd been uh, chief whip uh, during Suez. He'd been a pretty successful cabinet minister, quite a creative one. So they were different, but they were similar in that way. I mean, she is not, as Rose is saying, in uh, politics to be ideological, to be egocentric. She is the complete mirror opposite of Boris Johnson. You have uh, Boris Johnson on the North Pole and she's on the South Pole. Uh, just one point I'd slightly differ with Rosa on that about creating the mess. I mean, you know, just obviously the, the election, uh, absolute fiasco, one of the uh, biggest mistakes by a Tory Prime Minister in the last 100 years. Although we have to say, not popular to say this, that if she hadn't called it and Gordon Brown didn't call his election in 2007, he would, she would also now be uh, criticised for uh, the disappearing majority uh, and wasn't she so stupid and indecisive not to have called the election then. But you know, obviously the position over the EU she didn't is not of her... Uh, making. She did not uh, decide to call the referendum and the split in the Tory party goes back not 20, not 30, not 40, but 50 years and splits right down the middle, far more deeply than the Suez crisis did, uh, the party, the cabinet, the country and people are no longer interested in what the arguments are, that they've just decided emotionally are they pro-EU or not and then they find usually muddlehead arguments uh, and that's why it just doesn't stack up uh, these arguments at all. They're not talking about the facts, they're talking about their own egos and their own emotional uh, needs and that goes all the way up to people at the very top. I mean supposedly intelligent people uh, like, uh, let's not mention them, they're too obvious. Uh, are, are, you know, you know, I mean, I mean they, just, they just go on all the time. I, I mean on one level the whole conversation is so boring. Uh, over this because we have lost sight of 
what really matters and what the true facts are. So uh, she is getting better, Matt, um, but everything goes down to the wire with her. If she pulls something out, she will be the comeback uh, prime minister and people will start singing her virtues. If, if it goes wrong, and Rosa is absolutely right, she will not of her own accord uh, go unless it gets simply so intolerable or unless Philip uh, uh, says it's just too much. Everything, if she pulls something out, she'll be okay. Her reputation, she'll be roughly halfway up on the prime minister scale. Uh, if it goes wrong, she'll be right down at the very bottom. Lord North Territory, the man who <laughs> lost us, uh, the United States and Donald Trump. Could, could I just say that Lord North was rather a great man and a great parliamentarian in, in office for 12 years. Uh, and he did the king's bidding. He was too much of a courtier, but in, as a parliamentarian, he was absolutely in the in the top rank. And if you want, if you, if you want to, know, <laughs> if you want, I think, I think you're very emotional here, uh, emotionally engaged uh, with the fact that Lord North was just a real uh, trasher. Uh, and, you know, this is the real argument. This is where the intensity yes. is. But yes. I, 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 I seem to remember. If you want the argument about the merits of Lord North, we covered that in the previous podcast. Oh, right, when you sorry, yes. about, uh, yes, but I can't bear. I mean, we, we, we've got quite a lot of this happening literally yes. in the last hour right. in politics. Right. Sorry, uh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Uh, very quickly, in one-word <laughs> answers, when do you think Theresa May will go, Andrew? In a year's time. Rosa? I, I concur. There we are. Nice answer. Seat. Um, right. Well, if um, uh, as and when uh, Theresa May goes, um, she may be replaced by Jeremy Corbyn. But of course, it's not uh, a full conclusion. Uh, so uh, let's move on and talk about the Labour leader. This is Rosa Prince. Well, Matt, there are a few pretty obvious things that Jeremy Corbyn could do to uh, become Prime Minister, uh, like uh, back a mixed economy or clarify his position on Brexit or stop Labour people being so beastly to the Jews. But mostly, he just needs to sit tight and uh, let the Tories get on with making a complete and utter pig's ear of government, because if we keep going the way we're going, he's a shoo-in. Is that now? So I'm going to question right from the get-go your your thesis, because given that Jeremy Corbyn is basically made a pig's ear of being Labour leader <laughs> in lots of ways, and you're right, you know whether it's the anti-Semitism thing or you know the their the total mess on Brexit, is it a foregone conclusion that he just has to sit tight? I don't think it's a foregone conclusion, but it, it, we seem to be in this terrible position where it's a plague on both their houses, and and both parties are a complete and utter mess. Um, and I, I think it'll get to the stage where the British public, who are quite fair and and in their viewings sort of get it tends to happen over a longer cycle. But I think this time around they may just think, well, let's give the other lot of a chance we don't like them be any worse. yeah they yeah. literally couldn't be any worse and the Tories are so all over the place that I, I think I mean, look Corbyn did so much better than anyone thought he would we could also be back in hung parliament territory perhaps they'll get their act together with the SNP um, I just can't see a party under Jacob Rees-Mogg or Boris Johnson or whoever it is who comes next managing to secure a majority so yes any pretty much any other Labour leader or a potential Labour leader, I think, would walk the next election. It says a lot that we're not talking about a giant walkover for the next for the Labour Party next time around. I think and, he'll squeak in, though. And given we were just talking about Theresa May being temperamentally ill suited to the job, the, the full range of things required in the job, is Jeremy Corbyn any better suited to being Prime Minister? Do you think, given your 
Well, that's interesting. Of him. When you pose the question to me, what does he need to do to become Prime Minister? The, the thing about Jeremy Corbyn is he's not going to listen to me. <laughs> he's not going to listen to anyone no. in the mainstream media. He's not going to listen to nearly all of his MPs. He's not going to listen to the public. He's going to listen to the very tight cabal of people around him and who are going to say the things he wants to hear. He, he is not prepared to do the things that would make it easy for him to become Prime Minister. He doesn't want to become Prime Minister that much. If he can be Prime Minister... <laughs> While retaining, yeah, yeah, his ideological purity, yeah. then perhaps he might give it a shot. Um, but yeah, it's it's not important to him. He's another one who's not ego driven. Cor- Corbyn's main role at the moment is to prop up Theresa May. If, if Labour had a, apart from anything else, a debater at the dispatch box who, who could have had her own people laughing at her week after week. But uh, I mean, Corbyn is. I mean, the public, I think, or a lot of members of the public are vaguely aware that only about sort of 10% of Labour MPs actually think Corbyn is up to the job. And that is, in an election, that's very difficult. So I think, it, uh, I think it's not by no means plain sailing to the, although he's quite clever at not really telling us what he thinks about it, not, not interrupting his enemies while they make mistakes. Anthony, if, if Jeremy Corbyn picked up the phone to you and said, got any, got any advice on how I get into number 10, what would you tell him? Don't think he would be listening. Uh, <laughs> you know, to, I, I, I'm just lost for a reply there. Now, now if Theresa May is the grammar school girl sitting in the front row of uh, the class, Jeremy Corbyn, to keep our analogy, oh, yeah. Andrew's there, is uh, in the back of the class. He's yeah. chewing gum. His tie is halfway down uh, his, his middle. Uh, he's got splashes of gravy all over his white shirt. Uh, and he's got very lanky hair and he is letting out a periodic fart noises <laughs> yes. um, and just waiting for the whole class uh, to collapse uh, because yep. there is malorder there. And and that's kind of, you know, that is the sophisticated version of his plan. He has very considerable uh, skills. Uh, he uh, is very polished in many ways, but the skills he has are again a mirror image of uh, Theresa May's. He, he, in many ways, is a very good party uh, leader, uh, but he is not a governing force. And can you imagine Jeremy Corbyn with civil servants all around him? I mean, Tony Blair came in with a big contempt for the civil servants, and one reason he didn't achieve more uh, with those massive stonking majorities and strong economy was he didn't listen to the civil service, uh, but patronised them and dismissed them. Uh, Corbyn would do the same. It, you know, it isn't going to be a success, I'd say. Corbyn is a kind of John the Baptist figure, isn't he? to uh, somebody else, as uh, Rosa is suggesting, and Andrew's going to follow on, uh, Labour's very likely to be in power uh, next time up, and the Conservatives are very likely to be out of power for, impossible to say, but for a long time. Corbyn was much better at campaigning during the election than, most, than, 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 those, than many of us who yeah. adopted a rather, um, perhaps even unpleasantly scornful attitude towards him, didn't realise that actually he's been doing that side of things yeah. for 40 years. He knows exactly if he's got an audience of sort of middle-class, vaguely left-wing people, how to make them feel good about voting Labour. He's extremely good at that. Is it possible to to have Corbyn mania a second time round? To sort of keep that... I mean, given it, if Theresa May is unlikely to call a general election any time soon, unless, you know, she's, she's desperately forced into it. So to try and keep that going for five years, to keep people chanting, oh, Jeremy Corbyn, for five years is a, is a long old slog. Yeah, and momentum is a funny mixture of very elderly um, Trotskyites. I mean, I know one who left the Labour Party because... Harold Wilson, he thought Harold Wilson was too right-wing and he's come back. <laughs> <laughs> so there are, these, there are these really aged ideologues and then there are young idealistic people who want to do the best of the country and in the end it's a, it, it won't stick. They won't stick together, those two. There won't be a, 
a, a phase two for the mania about Corbyn. And deep down, he must be intelligent enough to know that he could never be prime minister. I don't think that's deep down what he wants. He would like to see his form of socialism get closer to governing. And I think that he would then withdraw a, a very happy man. But I think Labour, I think as well as Corbyn himself impressing us, I think the Labour machine impressed during the election and their ability to mobilise mm. was very sophisticated. And that's where the real problem for the Tories is. Not just that they're warring at the top and, and the public doesn't like divided parties, which is very apparent, but that they're, all those people who were writing letters to the Times of the Daily Telegraph at the moment who feel really fed up about checkers are not going to be knocking on doors. You know, they're getting elderly as it is. They're just not going to be bothered next time around. They're going to sit it out. So if Labour can just um, get their people motivated, yes. even a fraction, I think as a campaign goes on and they begin to think, you know what, we could actually be in government here. I, I, I think you're right. I don't know if they, they owe Jeremy Corbyn and the kind of boaty boat face style, let's give the establishment <laughs> a kicking, will be mirrored again. But I think definitely they are capable of winning an, an election. And that has been been, just before we move on, there's been a bit of talk about a, a reshuffle of the Labour front bench. If he brought back some of the, maybe some of the ex-ministers, the the people who've been quite impressed on the backbenches, Yvette Cooper and Lisa Nand, if you could persuade them to come back, because actually beyond the core, you've got sort of Corbyn, John McDonald, Diane Abbott, who go out on the TV all the time. The rest of the shadow cabinet, we would struggle to get through naming half of them. They're really not that impressive a bunch. If he managed to assemble a sort of fresher, more impressive team, that might be a sort of game changer. That would and has been one of the things I would advise him to do yeah. since he became leader. I remember once he was elected, everyone said, well, you know what you need to do is get the centrists on board and really unite and you'll be a really strong team. I think that would be a very smart move and I don't think for a second he's going to do it because those people <laughs> who you, whose names you don't know, they have egos. And why should they stand aside for Yvette Cooper? They've been there doing the heavy lifting in opposition. They've been in Corbyn's team. Why on earth would they give way now. I, I, I just don't think it's going to happen. I think they'll limp on as they are. And the gaiety of the nation would suffer if Barry Gardner was removed <laughs> from uh, frontline politics. Um, in, a, in just a sec, we will talk about um, that other big beat of British politics. Boris Johnson will be back after this short break. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. 
Welcome back. You're listening to the Red Box Politics Podcast with me, Matt Chorley. I'm joined by Rosa Prince, Anthony Selden, and this is Andrew Jimson. Dear old Boris, within the last few days, I've spoken to former fans of Boris Johnson, uh, who've become totally fed up and disgusted with him, and to former enemies of his, who've quite spontaneously told me the only answer now is to put Brexit in the hands of Boris and the Brexiteers, so in future there can be no Dolstos legenda, stab in the back legend, with the leavers blaming the Remainers for sabotaging the project. Uh, my own view is that Boris is such a big figure and so resilient and still has a connection with the wider public and is surrounded by politicians in both Labour and Conservatives who don't have that, that it's too early to write off his chances of becoming leader. Wow. Well, the only thing we really know about what he's doing at the moment is he's looking for somewhere to live because uh, he, he's given up Carlton Gardens, the yes. great and favourite house of the yes. Foreign Secretary. We've not heard from his... We've not had a resignation statement from him as yet. His, his opening salvo in the Daily Telegraph wasn't Well, it was deliberately... Explosive. No, it wasn't. It was deliberately So what, what's, he, what's he up to? Well, he's, he, he's working out what to do, isn't he? Yeah. And I, I don't know what... I, in fact, if I, if I tried to predict it, I'd probably get it wrong. He is... <laughs> although he'll be talking, he'll be going around talking to everyone, to, or to lots of people, he well keep his own counsel as well he's it's very difficult to know how he'll I think he'll have to play it a bit longer because the if, if he is I mean were he, were he to attempt to assassinate Theresa May that would probably rebound in her favor and it certainly wouldn't rebound in his favor and Hesseltine I mean the great precedent is Hesseltine and Hesseltine did not get it they'll find a John Major figure the question with Boris, when he didn't, uh, well, he didn't even enter the race properly in 2016 but there was that feeling he hadn't got enough people on board no Despite having this sort of public profile, he hadn't done the hard grind of getting yeah. the numbers to get on the ballot uh, and all of that. It, there was no sense during two years as foreign secretary that he did any of that wooing and building no. a base and actually probably upset more people with his various gaffes at the foreign office. So no, you're it, right. it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like he used those two years he's to build ho- the platform. He's pretty hopeless at that. He'd have to be in, obviously in alliance with other people who could do that. And he was in alliance with Gove. Gove was well organised, but um, then we um, all know how that ended. We all know how that ended. Yeah. Anthony, what do you make of uh, Boris Johnson? Well, I mean, Boris is obviously uh, the cool guy in the school, isn't it? Who everybody loves. He takes the piss out of all the teachers, out of of everyone else. But actually, the funny thing is, the more he carries on, the closer people get to know him, the less they like him. And that, I think, is the killer to what Andrew suggests about not writing him off. You know, there are some people, the more you get to know them, the more likeable uh, they become. That would certainly be true of John Major. I think it's true of Theresa May as well. But Boris, the opposite seems to be true. I mean, the public at large, and as far as they're going to decide who the next Tory leader is, uh, love him. Uh, People closer and closer to him get to see him as uh, very uh, fundamentally dishonest. Now, uh, Corbyn and May are similar, and they're both authentic. Uh, Boris is so inauthentic, he doesn't even know he's inauthentic. He sees himself as as Churchill, and that is part of of his delusion. I mean, he's a fundamentally uh, deluded human being, uh, and no, he will never get anywhere near power and his shockingly bad time at the Foreign Office and the fact that the the, the civil servants and others were just delighted to see him go uh, shows that he does not have the gravitas uh, or the integrity (laughs) to be Prime Minister, You you may well be right, Anthony, but this is what his housemaster said at at school, that he didn't have the 
the gravitas and the, and the, and the reliability. To, Hang to, on, to, Andrew. To become... I thought we said that the school teachers are always right. Oh. And... <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the, the, he, he got some very, very scathing reports. I've read them. They're great letters from Martin Hammond, a great classic, classicist and a great schoolmaster. And um, he said that Boris expects to be an exception to the rules that bind everyone else. But the funny thing was that Boris was also very loyal to the school and he loved the Latin and the hymns and all that and the various performances which were required. And eventually he, he, his claims to the top job couldn't in fact be denied even though he was known to be, um, a, from an administrative point of view, a complete nightmare. Um, so I, I, it, it may not happen again. I take the point that there are some people who've had a lot to do with Boris who have got entirely fed up with him. Um, but I, I just think in, a, in an age when there are so few big people and when the Tory faithful, a much diminished group, when they are so fed up with this dithering, they think that we're just being pathetic about this negotiation. And uh, although I don't think Boris is the same as Trump, a lot of people like Trump because they, perhaps not after this thing in Helsinki, but they, they like Trump because they somehow have this strange idea that he's a strong personality. Rosa, what about the idea that he... Reaches part, Boris reaches parts of the electorate that others couldn't, and everybody loves him. Actually, what, for me, what happened in the referendum was he alienated half of the country, and he's never really come to terms with that. That's why he keeps going back to the bus to try and justify it because he wants everyone to sort of love me. Does he need to sort of put that to bed and realise that? Or does he need to find a way of persuading Remainers he's, an, he's still a nice guy, really? Yeah, he's got that awful thing that politicians can't have, which is that he wants to be loved. And for so much of his career, he, he was loved. I think what you said about the normal rules don't apply to him and that he thinks that is really mm. interesting because I think that for a long time the normal rules didn't apply. Someone who's had the scandals in his past that mm. Boris has had, um, the affairs alone you would think would disqualify him for the highest office. But yeah, I, th I think Andrew's right. If, if he is to come back, he's going to need to play a long game because there yeah. have been some doozies in the last <laughs> year or so. Um, I, funny enough, I don't think his resignation, which I think was terribly handled, um, I don't know why he did it the way he did, because it just looked so bad. I don't think that's going to damage him, because that was more of a Westminster bubble thing. But I, I think Heathrow could be a big problem, actually. I think that, that once you get a reputation for your word not being your word, I think the sort of slyly sneaking off and finding a, a, a trip abroad, I think the British pub, public don't like that kind of thing. So I, th I think that might be the, the thing that, that sees for him. But... Again, an interesting thing you said, Andrew, there aren't any big beasts really out there. There are no candidates. And, so. and normal rules don't apply to Boris, but they don't apply to Theresa May. And, they, you know, they don't, you know, she lost two cabinet ministers in a weekend. Yeah. And the normal rules don't apply to Jeremy Corbyn. Maybe just there aren't any rules anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're in ultimate fighting territory. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, he's like a bit like Gascoigne, brilliant, huge figure, but the character issue. And it's mm. the character issue that will do... Uh, Boris in and look there is obviously a scope for somebody to champion a post-Brexit uh, Britain standing alone glorious Britain and if he was that kind of figure he would have shown it nowhere else better than being foreign secretary that is the hole that needs to be filled by somebody if it's not Theresa May he had the job par excellence to do it. He had the opportunity and he faffed it. So no, I don't think from the point of view of character, from the point of view of the fact he just doesn't have the ability to lead the country in a convincing way with a plausible narrative about how we're going to flourish post-Brexit. So brilliant but flawed. And I can't think of a single prime minister, certainly not since 45, who has such a flawed character as Boris. Gosh, I, well, I think 
Wils- Wilson was. I mean, I, mean, I just read an, a, a, a piece by Andrew Adonis praising Wilson for turning innumerable somersaults in order to keep us in the, in order to win the first referendum and keep us in the European Union. But I, I, and I think Heath also, in many ways, an utterly objectionable character as well. I mean, a glorified management consultant and if, um, if, as, if, as one of his own backbenchers. If being objectionable was a disqualification of being a politician, Westminster would be a much emptier place. There are fewer, actually. When I did this, the, I mean, I've just done a short book about brief lives of all the prime ministers. Um, and actually, there are fewer who are unpleasant people and, or indeed stupid people. There are lots who fail. But most of them, for for criminal activity, you probably have to look back to the end of Lloyd George's prime ministership and sale of honours and all that. Um, But a great man, obviously. Uh, And Andrew's written a really great book, and it's wonderful to see them all in perspective. I I think you're right about Lloyd George. I mean, mean, Wilson was dodgy in some ways, but he had a governing competence, uh, and so did Heath have a governing competence that Boris, I don't think has and if you then throw in the dodgy character uh, then I think Lloyd George is is similar but you really need to go back to the 18th and 19th century where there's some pretty rum uh, people around. But I think Anthony um, your analysis of Boris is is spot on. What I think I disagree with is that that matters. I mean yeah. now we're in this Trump world where oh, you, yes. you do not More have to... Are, exactly and people don't want to think yeah. quite and uh, through the last year since the, the Second World War, I think we have had very competent prime ministers in terms of they're good people who want to do their best and are pretty good at running something. Now, yes, we want we do want the, the vision thing. It seems we want someone there who ah. inspires us and intrigues us and, and emotes, delights us. And it's about yes. emotion and how you feel about things. Exactly, and values. And it's impl- implausible and, and and does astonishing things which no one could have expected. Which and Reagan, to some extent, did. I mean, and Kennedy, a, obviously, yes, is, is yes, another yes. example in a more um, yep. benign way. But um, yeah, perhaps Boris is our Trump. Ooh. Oh, Rosie. <laughs> okay, well, maybe, maybe. But you know, uh, that interview with Piers Morgan. I think he's more Piers Morgan than he's Donald Trump. I mean, Donald <laughs> Trump is bloody good that's playing. Very, that's very being, unpleasant. Being, that really, now that really, now the gloves are off now. I mean, Trump, Trump is a builder, Andrew, uh, whatever uh, we think of him. Uh, Trump is a builder with a vision that he tirelessly presents, whereas Boris is more like Piers Morgan, more of a critic jabbing away. And, 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 you know, that's why I wonder whether, you know, he could have been the British Trump. Uh, He'd love to have been the uh, British Trump come Churchill come whoever. But I just don't see it. Uh, Anyway, time will tell. And I certainly agree, the times are so weird. I can think of no time since 1945 like the times we're now living through. So frankly, anything could happen. Oh, and by the way, Matt, I just picked up a text. Boris is taking over as Prime Minister. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad that you clarified. When you, said, when you said the times are so weird, it was times in lowercase rather than yeah, referring yeah. to the newspaper. Yeah. Just the sort of thing that would get me the sack. Um, thank you so much. I think we've uh, almost run out of time. Just very quickly, what do we agree with the collective noun for a group of biographers? An intrusion. An intrusion. What, what did you suggest, Anthony? Oh. Oh, well, Andrew. Well, I had a Boswell, but he was the great one, of course. Oh, that's very good. That's very Anthony? Good. A stutteration. <laughs> <laughs> and just um, plug your books. Andrew, what's your book called? Uh, it's called Jimson's Prime Minister's Brief Lives from Walpole to May. And your Boris Johnson? Boris, The Adventures of Boris Johnson. Rosa? I have Comrade Corbyn and I have Theresa May, The Enigmatic Prime Minister. Could you, can you remember all of yours, Anthony? Fourth Education Revolution, just published, and May at 10. Fabulous. 
Uh, but that's plenty of summer reading for you wherever you're going on your holidays. Uh, my thanks to all of my guests. Don't forget you can subscribe to my morning email. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox. It's really good. It's very good. There we are. There we are. Top high praise indeed. We should have done that at the beginning. And uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes on your Android device. But for now, my thanks to Rosa, Andrew, Anthony. And for me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.